Welcome to Note Club, the podcast that's like a book club for people who don't think that books reward them enough for being good at them. I'm Chad Rollermans. I'm Andy Kinnick. And I'm JJ Artemis. And today, we're going to be talking about The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, a game that was developed by Nintendo, published by Nintendo, and was released in 2023 on the Nintendo Switch. But first, if you can give us a like or a rating, it would be greatly appreciated. The Legend of Zelda... Tears of the Kingdom. Yes. Is an action adventure game. And also some other stuff. It's many things. Yes. Yeah, there's a lot it, of stuff in there. It is a Zelda game. Yeah. You know what that is. It sure is. Um but more I didn't give any thought I imagined whenever <laughs> I think about doing the podcast, I'm yeah. definitely always thinking about conversations that we definitely will have. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But I did not give any thought into how I wanted to start this game. Start this this podcast uh-huh. about this game. Uh but the thing that jumps into my head personally is kicking you in the knee. Yeah. Uh, and then subsequently after doing that, saying the this game is a sequel to Breath of the Wild directly in terms of both story and mechanic, and that is really strange to me. Uh, coming from Zelda games being largely different for the majority of my life, uh, and I was too young to know what Ocarina of Time or Majora's Mask were when they came out, really, so th- that that would be the closest thing, I think, to this. Uh, outside of, I guess, some of the weirder other older ones. Mm-hmm. I mean, it does stand out as unique, I think. Um, like, I'm sure there are games that have been like this. Like, Far Cry Primal, I guess, comes to mind. Like, a sequel that you reuses the same map. Yeah. Uh, stands out as, like, weirdly unique, even though, like, it doesn't seem like that weird of a thing for a company to do. Um, but, yeah, it, it kind of made me think of... Um, Ocarina of Time was supposed to have an expansion on the N64 disk drive, which is a thing that failed and they never really released it commercially. Um, Much like the Nintendo Switch disk drive (laughs) that never came out? Yeah. Uh, Because it was supposed to just be like a second quest, basically, for Ocarina of Time. Uh, So this just made me think about that. Yeah. I remember before this game coming out, you specifically raising a concern about the fact that the map is the same Mm -hmm. it uh, my reaction immediately was there is zero percent chance that i'm going to remember where anything is and so it's not going to matter to me at all and that largely bore out to be true (laughs) but i'm wondering did you find it to be good or bad or anything uh i don't know i think i have mixed feelings about it i think they absolutely did enough to make it different um, and, but I did remember where everything was. Like I, I knew, like they start you out in the middle of Hyrule field. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're just like, go wherever. Uh, so it feels a little like aimless. So like, I kept like feeling like I was just wheel spinning the first like 20 hours of the game. So I'm like, oh, what's at Kakariko village? Like what's at Hateno village? What's at the, the, um, the lost woods? What's at the you know like just kept thinking of all the different places in the game and like wanting to go there so it was it was a weird experience i remembered the places but not their orientations to each other Mm. beyond like base geography right like okay so the rito village was like somewhere on the left 
and it was by mountains, I think. <laughs> Which is like the exact, I think, amount of memory they would have preferred you to have going into the game. Probably, yeah. Yeah, because now I get the nostalgia hit and I get to appreciate all of like the upheavals that have happened, uh, literal and otherwise, uh, in your absence between games. It, it's the kind of nostalgia hat hit that the first game uh, often triggered by like reusing really popular but decayed versions of other Zelda infrastructure. The Temple of Time, um, I think like Lawn Long and Ranch, you can like find a destroyed gate in the there somewhere. Bridge of Elden yeah. and shit like that. Yeah. Castle yeah. Town, mm-hmm. et cetera. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed actually having that base level of familiarity with the structures from the last game uh, because it, it let me appreciate the differences without feeling like I was literally retreading ground. It was just different enough where I... I I couldn't go to a place just because I remembered it. Yeah, that's fair. I, I will say, and leading into like a slightly different thing, I think the the fact that they reused the map might come up here and there, and we'll address it as it does. Like, I don't think we need to do a dissertation on reusing a map right away. Uh, but I will say that one of the things that I didn't even think to do, though <laughs> embarrassingly so, because I feel like it's something they clearly want you to do, is go see the Great Plateau, mm. uh, which is where the original game's tutorial took place. Uh, and by the time I got there, the thing that I realized was, man, Breath of the Wild's tutorial on the Great Plateau was like a million times better than Tears of the Kingdom <laughs> Sky Island tutorial, which is way too long and sucks ass. <laughs> I will not accept this slander. You're not going to agree with this. Of the caretakers, specifically. Oh, the caretakers okay. made it all worth it to me. I guess that's a thing to think about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I could run around, and I got to spend the whole time on, like, most tutorials just petrified of what would happen if I fell. <laughs> uh, so I, I never figured it out. Because I was a good boy and I never fell. I instead uh, just, you know, did all the puzzles correctly. Yeah. I, I feel like the tutorial is actually shorter than The Great Plateau. But um, I think it just feels longer because you already played Breath of the Wild and you, like, know what you're getting into. So you want to get past the tutorial, whereas in the first one, it didn't feel like a tutorial. It just felt like you were playing the game. Right. I But I think that's... They're vanishingly few people, I feel like, who are playing Tears of the Kingdom without having played Breath of the Wild. That's probably not accurate. I'm sure that there's, like, a significant percentage. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it's that significant. I feel like my experience is going to be shared by at least a fair number of people. The fact that The Great Plateau didn't feel like a tutorial is what made it good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Whereas in this particular instance, everything feels very tutorial-like. And there is a lot to do on the great sky island but almost all of it is going to be more worthwhile to come back to later rather than do right at the beginning before you've even hit the ground Mm -hmm. uh and to me that's like i don't know i had a few moments like there was like a fight that i did on a glacier like there (laughs) were like some dudes upstairs and i had to like fight them when i had like no health and no way to uh like give myself cold resistance Mm -hmm. and like they killed me like six or seven times and i was just stubbornly trying to murder them and that was like a fun thing that i did right and i could have just skipped if i wanted to but there was a chest uh but for the most part i felt like the tutorial was very much just like boring yeah yeah, running around i don't disagree that it's worse i just i don't know i i didn't feel like it felt long it kind of felt more like 
ju it's just there for the rune tutorials and cuts it's like cuts out all of the other stuff that like the great plateau had right as like being a microcosm of the rest of the game in my defense of it feeling long I will say that the first time that I played the game, I did the tutorial and touched down at Hyrule Field, mm -hmm. and then I just had to turn the game off and go to bed because it had been that long. Yeah, me too, actually. <laughs> so it did feel like I had a day of tutorial. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is, does feel kind of weird, though, to me in retrospect, that it doesn't tutorialize, like, moving around the sky at all. Mm. Um, cause I, this might be a more unique to me kind of thing. Um, but I got down to Hyrule field and just kept putting off exploring the sky like at all. Cause I was like, I was going to be like a way to explore it more easily, like later in the game. Cause like now I can't even imagine how to get between two of them, you right. know? Uh, so I ended up like just not engaging with the sky islands at all for like 60 hours of gameplay. <laughs> oh, How'd you, like, survive in, in the Underdark without little sun dandelions? Uh, there's enough of them on the surface. Like, you can get them at Kakariko Village and stuff. Oh. And, like, the ruins that fall down will have them. I will say two things. One is there's a an NPC in Terrytown, or, like, in the annex to Terrytown, where they're doing all the construction, who's like, I think that the Sunday lions probably come from the sky, and that was the very first time that I had ever considered where I was finding them. Like, up until that point, I was just like, I don't know, we got like 60 of them or whatever. Uh, but then the actual answer to how do you survive in the underground is by uh, not <laughs> surviving or using them. You just blindly go from place to place while shaking in terror. Uh, and when you run out of hearts, you lose the game. That's that's how I played it. And it was a great experience yeah. that I loved. I guess it makes sense that you would be like all in for like the build your own horror experience. <laughs> <laughs> Complete unrelenting blackness. But we will talk about that later, I think. Sure. The underground part. Mm -hmm. Then what are we talking about now, Chad? I don't know. Well, we we just went from tutorial straight to Sky Islands, and uh -huh. then we said, fuck it, let's talk about the depths. And I think the reason for that is that the Sky Islands are the biggest missed opportunity in the whole game, probably. At least to me. I don't know if other people agree. I want to fill this podcast with love. I, I want to, <laughs> That's to put so much praise into this game that I could like push back. I am glad that you invited me here because uh -huh. I fear what an alternate universe without my presence would have been. <laughs> we are constantly talking about different zones because different zones relate to one another. Like yeah. there are little woven connections built in that push you between the zones one way or the other. Apparently not up nearly <laughs> hard enough. No. Agreed, though. Yeah. Yeah, I, th I think it does push you, especially with the fact that the light roots and the and the shrines share a, like, vertical axis position <laughs> makes the depths a much more navigable place, whereas the Sky Islands, I feel like you have... You, you explore them in clusters more than you do as a whole, and... To me, it made me not spend as much time on them. Mm -hmm. uh, they all felt like discrete individual puzzles. And then once they were done, I never went back to yeah, them. And I think the fact that like all the major ones are like tied to a dungeon or a story thing hurts it too. 
because like most of like the sky islands that are that exist that aren't part of a dungeon or a story thing are just like a small island with maybe a shrine on it and an enormous cool sphere you can't forget about the cool spheres that are also (laughs) or like a big robot to fight yeah, yeah, yeah. There, were there more than one big sphere? I think there's two. There's at least two large spheres. Okay. <laughs> I remember the one sphere, and I would go back to it because it had carts and wings in it, mm. um, which were a big part of my experience. <laughs> I would go back to it just to be within the sphere. So. <laughs> <laughs> the mother sphere. <laughs> but yeah, I, I do agree with you, though. I think that the game does a fairly good job of connecting all of its biomes and kind of tying it into the fact that they reuse the map. You can really see where a lot of the time that wouldn't have been spent on making an entirely new world went. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the underground and the sky are part of it. Uh, And then everything else about the game is the rest of it. And ho-ho, there's a lot (laughs) to talk about there. Um, but yeah, I, I think they did, they did a worse job, I think, of connecting the sky because it just is, it's hard, hard to get up there. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it would have done a lot to actually, like, with the chunks that fall down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that happens often enough and grabs your attention, but, like, if using the rewind on them actually took you all the way back up right. so you could get there. Some of them do. You gotta get you gotta get on those buddies fast. Yeah, or, like, if they're up on a mountain, maybe you'll get there. But I, I think it's actually distance from the ground is, is what determines if it'll get there. Like, I, I don't think time actually makes a difference. Because I, I think there... I remember getting to an island on one like once and it was an island that was like not very high up that just had like a chest on it in a field yeah uh comment if you remember what island i'm talking about (laughs) when was the point that you both realized that this is not a sandbox in the video game sense but like actually a sandbox like the most like real the most detailed realization of like a child's imagination of what would happen when you bang toys together ever uh probably related to the big sphere <laughs> uh it, it was probably when i realized that you could get a functionally unlimited number of zoni devices right right um well once i realized that like the the charges the zoni charges were not really that limited of a resource and that if you put five of the large charges in one a very pleasing animation of like a million things coming out of the little balls uh would happen and i just was running around with like 400 of every item that's when i was like i can do anything Mm -hmm. and no one can stop me (laughs) not even god himself yeah it's like they took a Zelda game uh-huh. with like all of the normal like kind of janky combat elements that you would be used to and experiencing that would be serviceable, but not like an attraction in the same way that combat in a lot of more like developed AAA games mm-hmm. are more like Dark Souls, like Dark Souls style games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or even like <laughs> like Monster Hunter or something. Monster Hunter is another good pull, right? But like you're not coming to Zelda for the combat, but. It turns out you you can if you want to like get real good at shield parrying, you know, <laughs> you know, or like or like dodge real well so you can trigger flurry rushes at the right time. But that's that's it almost it feels embarrassing to be the kind of person who would attempt to be good at Zelda in that way. 
when you can instead like build a thresher that just like picks people up and like freezes them and then like eats them and chews them in a big comical mouth and yeah, throws them into a river. Your own design. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The game it's almost like this whole video game exists where there is one layer that is mostly just Breath of the Wild, which is a very good video game that you're very familiar with. Uh-huh. And then the tool set that they gave you for this cool sequel just designed to make you like break the underlying sub game in hilarious complex ways it exists for you to like destroy ignore and laugh at in a way that is very pleasing to me (laughs) um how much did you guys find yourself actually like experimenting with stuff you could build Probably 90% of the game yeah almost constantly Uh, see I didn't really like much at all Mm. Uh, and I think it was because, like, any time... This is something, like, a little bit of a criticism of the game, but, like, I don't really know... I, I, feel, I know why they did it and everything, but, like, any time you'd get to a place where there was, like, a problem to solve, you know, by sticking shit together, uh-huh. all the stuff you needed was already sitting there, uh, I, that really bugged me. Because, um, like, like, I've never like i would always just use the stuff because i'm like oh i see what they want me to do right like there was like a shrine i think it was it's called like the akala citadel or something there's like a shrine behind a waterfall and um it's i think it's the crystal and you're supposed to like get the crystal like on a bird and like launch it through the waterfall and fly it across the water to the other side and it's like this would be so much more satisfying to do if all of the stuff to do it wasn't right here. Right. Like, to get to it and be like, oh, how do I get through the waterfall? Like, I felt like the game, like, discourages you from experimenting by just giving you all the tools you need. So I agree with that. I think that when the game literally gives you everything that you need to do the thing, with the exception of shrines, I'm going to call out, I think, shrines. Yeah, that's a different... Yeah, yeah. you kind of have to do it that way because they're discrete puzzles. Uh, but in the overworld, when you, like, go into a place and there's just... Especially, so the sign guy, we all know the sign guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, big fan. Love the sign guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, his puzzles are all bad, though. Yeah. Because they just <laughs> give you everything that you need. And that makes you feel like you're just going through the motions and it's not really very fun. A lot of the stuff, though, and I think particularly the puzzles to get into the sky towers, I think their intent is to make you think about what you did and then apply that somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So I think my problem that I had with it, because I think that what you're saying is just a hundred percent true. I think that when that happens, it sucks. It's, it's, it's almost impressive though. It's like literally like it felt like anywhere I went and thought like, Oh, I could build a thing. I'd like look to the left or right. And the stuff I would need was just there as if they had people like play test the game for 10,000 hours Mm -hmm. and found the stuff people would want to make at every single location and put it in. It's wild. Whenever the game calls out a challenge for you, it tends to also provide you the tools necessary to build that solution. Right. So that the test is supposed to be like a test that you know how to combine. It's like an engineering test that is very simple, especially to us, uh, and not like a lateral thinking test. The game, I think, trusts you to, to put yourself in scenarios where you make your own goals that you use those lateral thinking tests to accomplish. Like, I, for example, when did you guys get the Master Sword? 
How far into the game? Um, I had completed three of the main dungeons. Yeah, I, I, I don't know, probably like 50 hours. Yeah, I think I grabbed it after two of them. Exactly, right? And like, we, I assume, all had a similar story where we were like up real high and or bullshitting and trying to find the limits of the skybox uh-huh. with a crazy mechanic set that we had been handed on a golden platter. And all of us managed to like accomplish this ridiculous narrative feat like 15 hours before the game anticipates you actually doing that. Yeah, I, I don't for, think so. Yeah, for me, it was <laughs> I was at the tower above uh, the, the woods. Um, the one by the sword uh, geoglyph. Yeah. Uh, and I and like I shot up to do something in the sky, uh, like maybe go to the labyrinth or some bullshit. I don't remember. And I was like, oh, can I like parachute into the Lost Woods? And then because mm. I hadn't considered that yet, because like I tried to go in there regular and couldn't figure out what the puzzle was and yep. just left. Yeah. Or it gave you gloom or whatever when you went in or something like that. No, it just does. It sends you back. To the okay. Game. Well, anyway. Um, and then that doesn't work. It's just like, oh, you were consumed by the fog and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, shit, I'll go underground. And then, like, you know, like, once I just started actually thinking about it, uh, that's how I came to it. Does, like, the Great Deku Tree, like, lead you to where to go? No, I just, you just go in and I'm like, oh. it's Because, like, like, you on the map, um, if you change it to above ground mm-hmm. while you're underground it shows the above ground map on the mini maps so i was like oh yeah. is this how you solve the puzzle and it's like you have to like look at where to go on a different map that's actually not the case like i just started <laughs> like exploring under the ground and then you get under the great deku tree and you can swim up through it right into the right. chasm right. no i meant so, like, like how you got to the master sword because yeah, that's what he was asking uh, the master sword is not there Right, yeah, right. yeah. The Deku Tree does just tell you where it is. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, I already had it by the time that I got to the Great Woods or same. whatever. The Lost Woods. The Lost Woods. Yeah. Uh, and I literally just did the Geoglyph quest. And then it tells you to go do the thing and jump on Zelda's head. Oh. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's just, it just, it's literally just like a, it guides you right there. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's. But you, so you just found Zelda flying around the sky. Yeah, I was trying to break the skybox. Okay. Because mm, I figured yeah. out that like, oh, those little, those little, I don't even know what you called them, the the floating bricks, not the ones that you activate as Zonai devices, but rather just like the freestanding ones in the sky zone. Mm-hmm. Now the ones that are like giant and have like a mesh pattern exactly yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the mesh pattern giant bricks the, i have a story about those that frustrates me to no end but also <laughs> i think is emblematic of my play through the game yeah yeah, right. yeah so i guess the answer for me is no i did not find it the way that you did <laughs> yeah but you were on a floating brick yeah but like oh. I, I got the the master sword like the game doesn't tell you about it until uh, like the end till after you get the last sage it's like go get the master sword if you don't oh, already yeah. have it <laughs> so i have to imagine everyone had to have gotten it prior to that yeah but, yeah doing the quest the for the geoglyphs does just like it opens another memory and the light which the light dragon i already determined was zelda like 20 yeah. hours oh yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah yeah very heavily foreshadowed yeah so like it wasn't like a big thing but no i did not do anything creative to do that i wouldn't say that i did yeah. anything creative to progress the game in any way i mostly did creative things to for bullshit kill all of the time in the whole world and make this game take a yeah. really long time i i never did try to break the like to find the limits of the skybox i did yeah. not i failed i ran yeah. out of little uh, mm. it's uh, like mechanically gated 
by uh, battery power. <laughs> it was just no. That that was the thing that made that brought this whole story to to its start. Mm-hmm. Is that I realized that when I ran out of power on uh, not parachutes. What's the opposite of a parachute when you have a fire underneath of it? Uh, oh, hot air balloon. Hot air balloon. Yeah, <laughs> I realized that I could just like attach the hot air balloon to like the cool brick. Yeah, and, and it would just stay at its point, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, I don't know how long those weird parachute hot air balloon things last let's just do that for 30 minutes in a row <laughs> and then i did and got to a point where i could like take a cool picture of the dragon because it happened to be close and zoomed in and was like wait a minute what yeah. the fucking master sword on there it would be cool does the, ca- the camera like identify it like you know how it like tells you what things are it was too far away for either uh, to be identified it was literally just me being like yay picture that would be kind of cool <laughs> oh yeah if it said it master like, sword yeah, yeah. master sword uh, I did. I wonder if other people did this. I guarantee you that other people did do this. Uh, I just assumed you had to shoot the master sword like you do to get the dragon parts. Uh, and so the first thing I did was just unload an absolute volley of arrows <laughs> straight into Zelda's fucking cranium. So mean. So uh, mean. Yeah, I didn't. Re- well, you, I mean, in the end, you jump in and yank a sword out of her head. That probably sucks too. Yeah, but that's a healing action. If I had a sword in my head, I would want it to be removed. You know, given, like, the proper care, mm-hmm. but, like... You would not want one dozen arrows shot into your eye and skull. No. Why'd you shoot it in her eye? I, I missed. <laughs> it's three feet in front of you. You don't know how far away I was. I guess. I was trying to do a cool trick shot. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Another thing heavily enabled by this game, cool trick shots. Absolutely. This is a trick shot friendly environment. I want to talk about those floating bricks, because they're difficult to get moving, uh, they they resist moving yeah. from a standard device, at least from my experience. They Rockets do. work yeah. pretty well. They're hefty. Yeah. So I I had a a, a quest, a shrine quest, Ooh. one of the green crystal things uh-huh. um, on a sky island that was like, you know, the same as they always are. But it was the first one that I had done. Right, right. So it was like green crystal in a cave on the bottom part of an island. I had this exact same experience. Yeah, and then the one up there. And I managed to get to it, and I saw the vines coming down. And so I pulled out a flame emitter thing, like a weapon that had the flame emitter attached to it. And I swung it, and it didn't catch on fire. And I realized that the reason that that happened is because the flame emitter on a weapon sucks ass, and you shouldn't do it. Uh, it's just bad and it doesn't reliably catch things on fire. So I just left and was like, I have to get, I have to ascend up into it. And so I went and got one of those big things and like a series of fans and batteries and stuff and like slowly blew myself underneath of it. Nice. It, this is probably like, I'm not joking. I joke about time a lot. You do. 45 minutes I spent trying to get <laughs> to the perfect spot to pop up where the crystal was nice. and did eventually. And then I was like, how do I get it out of here? Because I can't ascend with it. Right. Uh, and then I found out you could just burn the, you just, you just burn the vines. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you cut them too. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. and they didn't try oh. that one. I somehow yeah. never tried that either. I always just caught them on fire. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I had to burn it. Uh, and then I just, and then. I went back and it worked fine. <laughs> just threw a fire fruit at it or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so, but to me, that was like such a, to, in a way, that was to come back to the question that was asked now, 
like 15 minutes ago. Yeah. Uh, that was sort of when I started, like, getting into the actual, like, okay, what am I able to do versus, like, what is the game requiring of me? Right. Because I I took that experience as being, like, I wasn't thinking outside the box. Or I was thinking too far outside the box, it turns out. But I thought it was the opposite problem. Whereas before I'd be like, oh, can I take these wagon wheels from the thing that is all over the place? Uh, and rock me mama with them. Uh, and I put it together as a wagon and it just didn't move. Yeah. And it took me like eight minutes to do that. And I was like, well, fuck it. I'll just run. That was kind of my experience. Same. Universal experience. You get below, below the ground and you see all those places with like the wood that's been conveniently set aside for you. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, I have powers. Time to make a car. Exactly. And what you actually <laughs> made was like a five-year-old's approximation of a car right. that does no power at all. <laughs> It's made of shitty wood and burns and breaks itself all the time. Yeah. I kind of love that. I do. I love that you have to hit devices to get them to start yep. so that there's always that chance that you just shatter it and you make just you... break something. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, I've made a lot of, like, uh, like put down a board and attach two hot air balloons to it types of things. Yeah. And would often forget that if it's not a metal like thing the board that you attach the hot air balloons to would just catch on fire yep and you just <laughs> go away i tried so hard to get a metal plate up a uh cliff effectively yep. without using those mm-hmm. not because it was like a personal challenge i just didn't have them so i was i had like fans set up and i was like and go and it just <laughs> fucking wouldn't yeah. do it. I never tested this, but, like, one thing I would do is if I didn't have flame emitters, you can just put a bundle of wood into the hot air balloon and light it on fire. It's like, I don't know if those ever run out. (laughs) Like, like, does the wood ever just... If you let it burn long enough? I have no idea. It certainly lasts longer than the hot air balloon, which is all that really matters. You could theoretically ride that up really high. Like the... Oh yeah, the hot air balloon also explodes. I forgot about yep. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it takes a while to get there, but you do get there. There's a um, an auto build schema stone mm-hmm. that you get called a dirigible, nice. and I remember going like, "What is the difference between this and the hot air balloon?" Other than it looks way less efficient. And the answer I realized after building it is that it has two torches that sit underneath of the the thing so you can turn it on and it will rise and then you can turn it off and the torches will just let it hover mm. so yeah i i think that there are a lot of ways to just like keep a hot air balloon going indefinitely essentially but that was the way i found out about it yeah uh, yeah dirigible actually a very cool and useful schema stand mm-hmm. uh this whole game is like rediscovering the joys of Gary's mod past. It's essentially, yeah. <laughs> yes, like I like you were describing the like forty-five minute experience, and, and and I do want to clarify that when I hear that, it's like, yes, like I had so many. I relate to that in so many ways. <laughs> I there's and I was filled with such joy and happiness every time I like fucked up and broke a thing, and it just like flew off to the left and exploded. Mm-hmm. It's really all I want out of like most open world games is just the ability to like you know roll a grenade down a hill yeah and ruin all my plans yeah (laughs) that is it really is just like to me i described the original breath of the wild uh, and i don't 
suggest listening to that episode necessarily to hear this one line. But I do, like, insist, like, this is very much like Nintendo's take on the immersive sim genre. But that was wrong because this is Nintendo's take on the immersive sim genre. Yeah, I never played Gary's Mod, but I think that's, like, a great way to describe it. Like, it has that energy. Yeah. 100%. And in Gary's Mod, my favorite attachable item... This probably dates me because I don't know. They've updated Gary's Mod a lot since I've played it. Uh, was the rocket. And my favorite item in Tears of the Kingdom is the rocket. Oh, easily. Yeah, the rocket is amazing. O- almost always unwise, but universally amazing. <laughs> it's the best thing I've ever fused to a shield. Oh, easily. In the whole game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. and, like, the bombs. I felt very dumb. that <laughs> I, I never watched any trailers for this mm-hmm. uh, but before playing. I never thought to attach a rocket to a shield. And found out later that's, like, one of the go-to things everybody does. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, this game has so much, like, social media FOMO kind of, like, built into mm-hmm. it. Where, oh, like, yeah. you'll have, like, a really cool accomplishment when you realize some particular quirk of the physics engine. And then you'll go online and see, like, the most unbelievably ridiculous, not just builds, but, like, series of takes and actions, right? Mm. Like, getting good at this game really just means like having a resource pool necessary that you can curb stop literally anything without it being even a demonstrable threat to you yeah i had i keep wanting for this is bad because my brain keeps wanting to talk about the end of this game but i shouldn't it just isn't the time Mm -hmm. uh but yeah i found that one of the things that in the original episode everybody called me an alien monster for saying <laughs> right. is that I would try to avoid all the combat at all mm. times. I, I still think the combat in this game is pretty bad. Um, I think it's the weakest part of the game by a pretty gigantic margin. Sure. Um, and it doesn't matter anywhere near as much in this game as it did because they've now given me a million ways to circumvent it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I actually kind of like agree with you in this in this game. Mm-hmm. Like, I found once I got like a third of the way in, I largely avoided combat when I could as well. Like, I like the combat, but I think after what now two hundred uh. and like <laughs> however many hours I've spent playing both these games, maybe three hundred ish. It got it gets old. Yeah. There's just not enough that you can do, and the enemies don't really vary themselves enough. I do like that there are more enemy types Mm -hmm. in this game. I do love that trees are enemies. Yeah, the tree enemy is one of my favorites for uh, many reasons. Uh but yeah, I, I did enjoy early on like the like monster strongholds. Like I thought it was fun to storm those. Oh yeah. For you know like twenty some hours, you know. Yeah, just to, like <laughs> then, storm some strongholds. Yeah, yeah. and then you kind of yeah it gets old. Yeah, the version of the Breath of the Wild had too many encounters that were exactly the same in this game. Is that they copy and pasted the monster stronghold 750,000 times throughout the depths. And all mm. they really were after a certain point was just signs that said, go around. Like, cause you're not going to stop and fight every stronghold in the depths for like 25 Zoanite. So you're just gonna go around them all the time. Yeah. And it's a bit tragic. Cause the, like I said, the depths, one of my favorite places in the game. Uh, and it was sad that like, I was, I didn't feel encouraged 
to engage in the combat there. Agreed, yeah. I, I remember the way that I decided that, like, okay, I'm done with this game, let's go end it now, <laughs> was when I was like, let's light up the depths entirely. And I had a, a level of mobility, even without, like, many Zonai devices, where I could literally just, like, fly light route to light route. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it ceased to be a journey at that point, and instead, like, was a very easy checklist, a very interesting checklist that occasionally produced, like, rewarding results. The first Lionel I ever found was, like, an underground Lionel with, like, oh, the red corruption. Yeah, it was pretty sick. So I, of course, wasted, like, five hours attempting oh. to <laughs> deal with that in a way that was fun. But, yeah, but for the most part, you definitely reach a point in the game where you no longer trust that there's going to be something new that you find. But it, until you have, like, fully turned on the lights the game does still have that magic. The game is a lot better when when it has a credible promise that anything can happen mm-hmm. until eventually you reach the point where you have seen most of those things. Yeah, like my favorite part of the game was like the, my first time down in the depths. And I was like, I was just like, how far can I go yeah. before I lose all six hearts or however many I had at the beginning? Uh, and like that was like the probably the most fun, intense like hour and a half or whatever. <laughs> I had with the game. Yeah, to me, the depths started to... I would say, like, I still liked it pretty much all the way through. I didn't go light the whole thing up. I feel like that would be... That would destroy a mystery that I'm not prepared to let go of (laughs) yet. You want it to be, yeah. Yeah, I gotta let... It's gotta be dark. Otherwise, what's the point? Uh, But the, the... The... It started on its downward slope when I realized that water is uh impassable in the depths because the water is like the boundary right mm. and so i would get to a cliff and i would climb it for like <laughs> an hour i'm like how do i get to the top of this because i've been to cliffs that i could surmount right. and so i'm like maybe in this one because i wasn't checking like the above ground below ground i hadn't made the association yet because it's right. so early so i would like to throw a fucking thing and like get up there and then I would have like a spike and I would stick a plank in the wall and rest and like wait and then move it up and then try and climb up to it and then rest some more and try and light up more of it and then I hit a ceiling I was like no not not now after all this time it is a cave right like there's gonna be by definition, that has to exist. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, I did the exact same thing. Like, there was a point early on, like, I was trying to climb up a wall that mm. just went into a ceiling. <laughs> it just very... Wasted a bunch of uh, stamina regen stuff on it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it was still, that's great, though. That's That was the stuff that made me... But that's when I realized, like, oh, okay, this is, a, this is the ocean. I can't proceed. (laughs) Weirdly, that rule is not universally true. Mm. It's true like 90% of the time. I really freaked myself out at one point by uh, ascending into that lake that the whirlpool exists in. Oh, Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You 100% can go up there and just like appear in water in a very glitchy way. Uh, (laughs) It exists. Well, I know you can ascend into water because I've done it on multiple occasions. It's just... The in that lake seems bad. Yeah, to yeah, do. yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. Lake Hylia. 
I will say, I think a lot of the mysteries of this game, I did probe pretty successfully just because I am in no way afraid of dying in this game. Because, like, I remember I saw that whirlpool and I was like, I'm just going to jump right in it. Like, I'm, no hesitation. Not like, um, maybe I build a boat. I'm like, first things first, head in the water. That's where I'm headed. <laughs> I mean, I think, like, the game wants you to do that. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's a thing down there to yeah. do. So. This game is just ripe for like intense gamer dlc (laughs) can you imagine this game with like highly limited resources like a more intense version of the occasional you have no shit shrines that would pop Uh, up okay yeah 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 like because because the energy bar hear me out yeah the energy the me the batteries that you have yep when they run out they stay dead for like 24 real world hours unless you pay <laughs> Nintendo a dollar. <laughs> That's not even what I mean. Okay. Just, I don't even mean. Like Eventide Island. Yeah, I, I mean. Because part of what I think all of us as like, like post 30 year old adults mm-hmm. are discussing here is that. Oh, we established actually in the last episode that I'm 19. Oh, okay. <laughs> Apologies. Uh-huh. Of, of so, post 18 year old adults. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Is that when you reach a point where you have that kind of mastery of the system, the systems themselves are so impressive that they carry the game to me. Mm -hmm. But at that point, like everything else in the environment becomes dolls, right? They're all just like hilarious. There's no enemy (laughs) except for like maybe certain kinds of Lynels that aren't just like literally a thing for you to play with once you Gleox. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna nominate Gleox as also being very. They're difficult for you to fuck with in the same way. <laughs> they are, but you could totally do it. I mean, it's, you can do it with a Lionel, too. Yeah, correct. But yeah. How did you beat your first Gleok? I didn't. Uh, there's a quest to go kill the one on the Bridge of Hylia. That was the first one I killed. It was a fire one. How'd you do it? Uh, I mean, I just fought it. Uh, oh, like a cool swordsman? Like a cool swordsman, uh-huh. yeah. I did not do any bullshit. <laughs> uh, I, I found the ice one way harder to fight because the fire one makes updrafts. For, yep. But like the ice one makes things that you can reverse time and fly up. But mm-hmm. it can freeze you all the time, and that makes it much harder. Yeah. The first one that I fought was, had a name card that said King Gliot. <laughs> and I said, oh, I'll kick its ass. Uh, I did not kick its ass. I had like 11 hearts at the time, and it killed me in one hit. Uh, And it was up in the sky. So, I yeah, there was nothing I could do, (laughs) so I left. Uh, And I've yet to kill one. I I killed one Lionel, I think. Mm. (laughs) I went to that Coliseum in the depths that has all the Lionels, uh, unbeknownst to me, Mm -hmm. and killed them all except the last one. I was just completely out of resources and couldn't do it, and I had to run away. Sad. Sad. It was sad. Uh, But how did you kill one? Uh, by, uh, prepping all of my shields with, like, uh, either bombs or the little rockets Mm. that I could always get in the air for slow time. Oh, yeah, that would make it much easier. And then using ice keys arrows to, like, easy blind Mm. it. Uh, and and then after easy blind, kind of just repeating that over and over again. I tried a full bullshit, like, because everything dies in the water, right? So, like, I attempted yeah. to do a thing where I could, like, hopefully knock it out and then just, like, pick it up in a big scoop and dump it. <laughs> but I've never succeeded in that at all. That would be pretty cool. I will say that the way that I got beyond 
the Ice Gliok, which was the one that gave me problems in completing a quest, was by skitching on a horse on a sled shield, uh, which was pretty cool. I'm sorry, skitching? Uh, it's like where you use the... Well, technically speaking, I would have to be holding on to the horse as it moved for it to count as sketching. Okay. But I used momentum from the horse, leapt off of it, and then flipped onto a sled shield like I was Tony Hawk mixed with Sean Mullins. Ah, uh, I see. All uh, right. It's, it's a skateboarding <laughs> term, not a like horse riding term. I mean, I don't, I don't know much about equestrian <laughs> sport. Lingo. Exactly. I mean, neither neither do I. But I imagine they don't have the vibe of like an extreme nineties uh, <laughs> sports racer. <laughs> That's probably right. true. Yeah. Uh, did you find the Fabio horse, JJM? I did not. Is that just a huge the horse? Huge horse. Oh yeah, I did yeah. find the just enormous horse. <laughs> yeah. For some reason, I couldn't name him anything other than Fabio. That's just like immediately what came to mind. Yeah. Good. Fabio definitely known for being on horses. Yeah. And also being a big man. And having blonde hair and wearing like a white billowy shirt. Yep. And the horse was white with blonde hair. It was. It, it was. is it is very much the Fabio horse. Yes. Let it be known. <laughs> Throughout the land. From this day, f- f- hence. <laughs> <laughs> What? What? Should, what? Need, what is to be known? Uh, it's a Fabio horse. Okay. All right. uh, okay. Uh, do we want to continue talking about the Legend of Zelda: Tears in the Kingdom <laughs> after the, the break? break? Yes. I guess. Sure. Okay, yeah. 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 Forty-five minutes. We should leave like the break time, like in, in suspense about the answer. We should be like, yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna keep doing it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, all right, okay, we'll do that. Because they know, right? Because they can just like look down at the podcast and be like, oh, there's more of it. They are going to not come back. Probably. Welcome back. Uh, We talked pretty broadly, I would say, on the first half. That happens a lot. Yeah. If you revisit our catalog. <laughs> Which you should. Yeah. To get our views up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Engagement. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk about specifically things that I think the fact that this game reuses the map afforded them the opportunity to do. Okay. Um, if you look at what we and others have complained about uh, regarding Breath of the Wild, mm-hmm. um, Dungeons, where were they? Not in Breath of the Wild. That's where they weren't. Uh, and enemies, sort of repetition, a lot of things that were like a little bit too much. <laughs> Good God, did they make everything better in this game. I will say the dungeons, I'm a little disappointed that they all just sort of were like fine five things. Uh, the special shout outs to the... the fucking the desert temple the i don't know pyramid. oh yeah. yeah 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 like maybe the best dungeon in the game for sure yeah i think yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah but most of them were just sort of and it even has like the fine five things but it doesn't in a much cooler way than the other ones do mm-hmm. agreed um but yeah the i thought they were all very cool i thought it was very varied uh the actual progression through the game just generally feels like an entirely different experience than Breath of the Wild did. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I don't know. No, 100% Discuss. question for you. Yes. Do y'all think that this game, like, fully supplants Breath of the Wild? 
Like, do you, would you ever recommend someone play Breath of the Wild and this, and then this game, or would you just recommend that they play this game? I know that we literally did, but it was when we were like early days in like the game had Tears just come out. Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of do. I think that there's a lot of things in this game that are directly a version of something that existed in Breath of the Wild. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ultra Hand is Magnesis, but better. Uh, Ascend is Cryonis, but infinitely much better. Uh, also, Ultra Hand takes part of that away. Uh, there, there are a lot of things like bombs being just as readily available, essentially, but now can be stuck on even more things and do more different stuff. Uh it feels like they took a lot of the systems and improved on them more so than it being like a branch off. At the same time, though, I think there's still something worth it. I'm going to get to something in my final thoughts that I think kind of like encapsulates this and maybe answers it better. But I think that I still loved my experience with Breath of the Wild and would recommend people play it. But... I think that if you have the opportunity to play this one first, it might actually be a good idea. Yeah, right? Like, in the first half, there was a lot of discussion about the ways that our pre-existing familiarity with the game played into our experience in Tears of the Kingdom in a few ways good and several ways bad. I'm trying to imagine what it would have been like. I, th- I think I would have been, like, less tired of the combat loop if I if it was not virtually a beat for beat copy of the combat loop that i did a hundred hours of five years ago (laughs) yeah right if you were like learning those base interactions learning how awesome it is to be able to just climb over anything all the time at the same time that you have all these like crazy bullshit sonai abilities right i feel like that might elevate the experience even more so like currently I'm on team just play Tears of the Kingdom. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel torn about it. Um, it's really hard not to just, like, take your own personal experience into account too much. Like, I really liked playing Breath of the Wild and then playing this after it, and it kind of like what Chad was saying, being, like, an expansion of what Breath of the Wild was. Um, so my gut instinct is to say I would recommend Breath of the Wild first. But I don't know. I think it depends on the person. Like, if you care about stuff like that. Isn't it crazy that, like, we're even having this conversation, too? Yeah. But, like, Breath of the Wild, this thing that, like, was industry-wide treated as this enormous watershed moment that's going to, like, change open-world games forever. Mm -hmm. Like, they made one sequel to it, and now we're like, oh, should people even play this unbelievably (laughs) influential, (laughs) one of the greatest, you know, scored games in the history of the medium? Well, I I think potentially one of the things that made Breath of the Wild in specific uh, special uh, in comparison to Tears of the Kingdom is that Breath of the Wild took... It was less innovative of it on itself, and it was more iterative. I feel like Breath of the Wild took what were tropes of open-world games in the early 2010s all the way up through 2020, uh, and made better versions of a lot of it. The world map was more engaging. There was more stuff to to do that felt actually meaningful as opposed to just sort of like collectibles of uh, garbage variety. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 
it felt more lived in and less annoying to play. Yeah, there isn't just like a checklist of objectives yeah. to yeah. go get. The way that they like organized the actual terrain itself to incentivize you to discover things in certain orders. Right. Like that was all like crazy and important. And it's all equally true of Tears of the Kingdom. It's the same map. Right. But then Tears of the Kingdom comes around and it takes all of those same iterations and then it applies innovation to them. I would say that I'm not saying that Breath of the Wild itself was a non-innovative game and did nothing new and sucks. That's a hot take. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm saying that that it's the I think the thing that made it good was the fact that it took things that had already been done and made them better. Its innovations were more in like applying the its physics system, like its specialty system. True. And Tears of the Kingdom is just the better version of that physics system. And it's given us tools to, to use it. The fact that you don't have a restriction on the number of Zonai devices that you can carry with you is telling that they wanted that to be a core part of your experience. And that the that sort of exploration is, is what makes Tears of the Kingdom as different as it is from Breath of the Wild. Agreed. Like, I, I love that comparison uh, about, like, you could you could totally picture the alternative game that attempts to restrict your Zonai devices to try and make individual combat encounters, like, more engaging and, like, more resource-intensive. Mm-hmm. And they didn't go that route at all. They continued to go the route uh, where it is not, they didn't, they weren't trying to create super engaging, puzzly challenges, at least yet. Here comes DLC. What they were trying <laughs> to do was just, like, give you this unmind-blowing tool set. Yeah. Big fan. Yeah. I do, I will say that there's a certain type of person that I would probably recommend Breath of the Wild to over Tears of the Kingdom. Mm-hmm. And the type of person that comes to my mind is the kind of person who is, who will optimize fun out of a game. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I thought do... you were just going to say me. Uh, <laughs> well, also you, because I feel like potentially Breath of the Wild, I mean, I don't know. We'd have to really do a deep dive on it, mm-hmm. and that's what we do because we're on a podcast, uh, so we will in a minute. Because I think the narrative content is a, a draw, uh, is a reason to play Breath of the Wild first, mm-hmm. uh, because it gives you context and everything for Tears of the Kingdom, and is good in its own right, like, better than most Zelda games generally are. Agreed. Um, and, uh, yeah, and Tears of the Kingdom continues in that tradition for the most part, I think, but uh, is, I don't know, has interesting quirks of its own. So that is also a good reason to do it. Mm-hmm. But I do also think that there's the person who, like, Google's fast way to move and then just does that for the whole game and just never walks anywhere. Yeah, it's, I think <laughs> and that's just not. Yeah, fun. and so you. No, um, no, but uh, no, I think I think it just depends on like whether or not you value that kind of stuff. Like the playing the first one, there's like a lot of context. It's kind of designed for it to be your first thing. So like the beginning of it's very like intentionally designed. Yeah. To ease you into the world, whereas the second one kind of drops you in a little bit more. So like if you care about things like that. Yeah, it's just like the game's similarities, I think, do really make this an interesting topic. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the narrative. I am I am curious how the narrative hit for you two. Mm. Oh god. Um kind of similarly to the first one, I think. Like I liked what was there, but the way that like you kind of find it all through like memories and flashbacks make it feel like a you're a bit too disconnected from it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but like overall, like it is high, a, a high quality. Like I, you know, like all the cutscenes are nice. The voice acting doesn't bother me as much as it does some people. Um, but yeah, no, I I like it. I appreciate that it's there. I like. I wish there was maybe a little bit more in the game proper and less of it was backstory. But like, I mean, I'm pleased with it overall. I think. For like an open world, it's hard to do story in an open world game. Yeah, it's really weird how they kind of like had their cake and eat it too by like front loading a story with the cold open, mm-hmm. which is great. I was so in immediately. Yeah, like the part like at the beginning where you're going down under the castle with Zelda. Yeah, like more stuff like that throughout the whole game would be really cool. Yeah, but that would also be really hard to implement in an open world game. Right. So they had like the narrative begin and then li- you know just literally came up with time travel as like the best you know excuse for why you could have all of these like interspersed you know chunks of narrative in a similar way to the game prior mm-hmm. it's like a little bit more it's more of a reach it still works in my opinion and i really enjoy it but an idea i just had that would have been like fucking awesome uh-huh is like let you play the flashbacks like have them like be little sequences where you like play a zelda it, like you know like it wouldn't even have to be that substantial but like short little sections right. and then the big cutscene. So you feel like a little bit more connected to it. Would have been a, a great uh, additional way to expand the functionality of recall too. I feel like oh, recall yeah. was one of my least used like of the major abilities. Yeah, yeah. There was like um, it was like I was probably on like the fire temple or whatever. Like there was a part where there was like some a bunch of uh, lava platforms floating along some lava, and I'm like ah. Just like time reverse it, like because I had like barely used it oh, to that yeah. point in the game, and like I rode it across, like just time reverse it. I'm like. Gonna make a mental note to like try to think to use recall mm-hmm. because it's very easy to overlook it. Dude, the thing that like I, I an assumption I made about recall that absolutely wasn't true that made it way more useful to me in my last like quarter of play mm-hmm. is that I didn't connect that recall like functionally doesn't have a range limit. Mm, like it does have a very far right, right, right. You yeah. eventually do get there, but it's like way farther than you think that it is. I thought that it was, like, approximately the same radius of where you could interact with things with the Ultra Hand. Mm. But, like, it's closer to just, like, if it's on screen, you can you can just time recall it. And that really opened up a lot of scenarios for me where, like, I had written it out because I assumed that it was, like, out of my interactive zone. Right. I mostly used recall in two ways. One of which was I, I immediately react with it anytime that I see a projectile coming toward me. Mm. Uh, it took me a little bit to get into the groove, but I did end up treating it like a dodge button by the end of the game. <laughs> uh, but then the other thing was uh, is using it like stasis in the first game mm. to just keep something in place for a second. Uh, and then use the actual best ability in the entire game, Ascend, to climb things by picking it up, then reversing time, and then jumping through it, and then grabbing something else and doing the same thing while you're floating <laughs> in air uh, to be a jackass. But yeah. I do want to talk about the narrative still. Agreed, yeah. yeah. I yeah, actually yeah. have very <laughs> complex feelings on this. It kind of triggered, like, a minor, not not panic attack at all. That's like That's, like, nine million years too strong. Uh, <laughs> like a like a troubling realization, mm. let's call it, in like my opinions about narrative games. Uh, hit us. Uh, so this game follows in a trend of narratives that genuinely did hit well for me uh, and that uh, I thought were impactful and good that are all about more of mapping out 
the outlines of stories that are designed for you to fill in the gaps. I talk about this a lot in the context of Fire Emblem with certain character interactions as well, mm-hmm. where it is not a narrative in the sense of like The Last of Us or something, where there is like a cohesive story that you have access to all of the beats to. Rather, you're seeing like the impression made on things that you organically interact with in the environment, and then you make the connections about the things that happened afterward. Not Mm-hmm. Uh, not to the extent of like even like a you know a Vati video or something crazy like that, but just you know environmental storytelling, right? Yeah. I I'm starting to like turn a quarter on that, not in how much I enjoy it. I clearly do still enjoy it a great deal, but it's becoming troubling to me that like a lot of the narratives that are beginning to be impactful for me are not literally stories about people. They're stories that I'm making up for myself about things that I am seeing, right? Like, a lot of these games that are doing so well, they are presenting a framework for a story that we're supposed to, like, glop onto. And I'm worried that we're, like, heading into a future where the trendier thing is to not actually try and do the hard thing and write the story, but instead (laughs) do this interesting but easier thing where you let other people do the work for you in a way that is more meaningful to them. I, I think, and I don't I don't intend to push you further into a corner, <laughs> a little a black box of self-doubt, but I, I think that this game takes even an easier way out uh, in a way that is upsetting, I guess, in that way, <laughs> where it is like the the main plot line of the game in terms of like action reaction, what's actually going on, has to do with Ganondorf. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. of of Gerudo fame. Mm-hmm. The king of the Gerudo. The king uh, of yes. the Gerudo. Sexy man himself, yes. Ganondorf. The, yeah, him. The demon king. Yes. The sexy uh, one. Ganondorf. The sexy demon king Ganondorf. Yeah. Uh, in, in case you were confusing it with a different Ganondorf. The Ganondorf yeah. without the shirt. With no shirt. Yes. Is sexy. <laughs> king of the Gerudo. Yes. Uh, Ganondorf. That guy. Yes. Yeah, Ganondorf. But he is a corpse in a room <laughs> for the whole game. But it's like a hot corpse. And it, well, no, <laughs> not so much. No, I'm not following you there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so he's, he's a corpse in a room for a very long portion of this game. And so the things that you are interacting with, you link mm-hmm. with the not sexy. Uh, the, the twink link. Yeah. Uh, he runs around and interacts with aren't directly related to the actual plot. So a lot of the the story beats that you're picking up are things that are happening in major locations. Mm-hmm. But the here to there, you're like, most of it is just people being sad that mo- that monsters came back yeah. and that they destroyed their town or like forced them out or it, mostly those two things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And occasionally some other thing. They took my shit and put it on a mountain go get it uh and that isn't like environmental storytelling in in service of the greater narrative of the game it's environmental storytelling in sort of a beat for beat kind of way what did fucking josh from uh whatever who cares village do and you're like okay he did that I helped somebody win an election in probably a very illegal manner <laughs> in Hatano Village. And that is like an interesting story, but like, what does that have to do with the Demon King? I would argue probably nothing other than I did wear that hat 
when I beat the Demon King. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it it is very like much like a trendy thing nowadays to do like the there isn't really like the story itself in the game is just you go fight the bad guy. Yeah. It's yeah. it's kind of like an interesting way to like update the classic like go save the princess kind of narrative where it's like instead of focusing on story you focus on backstory and like stuff that happened before that the player can like put the pieces together and i think that works really well with an interactive video game like especially ones where exploration is a focus agreed um but like i don't think you really need and this is just my speculation but like to worry that that's going to take over like i i think like traditional narratives will always still exist in games and like this will just be its own niche of course, of course. But, like, I think it's definitely here to stay, though. I, I wasn't think. necessarily, like, attempting to imply that, like, about an industry trend. Right. I meant personally for me. Oh, you're, you think I'm worried you're... that, like, the majority of the media that I'm consuming and that, like, mm. I'm identifying with tells stories in that way. Okay. And I wish that I could instead relate to or be moved by much more specific granular stories i guess okay well my my prescription for all people is to listen to the no clip podcast <laughs> where we can talk about games like perfect tides a game that oh, tells yeah? a direct narrative story that is moving good 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 uh but anyway <laughs> <laughs> take yeah. note of that i i do think that this is all true though i think that yeah this game definitely falls into uh, similar to how breath of the wild did mechanically speaking this game falls into uh, sort of some actual industry trends, even if that isn't what you were I implying. Definitely, it is doing that. Yeah. Um, but I don't think it's it's not it's definitely not detrimental to the experience of the game because it would just be it would be I think more it would be too hands on if this game tried to tell like a direct story. Uh, like I don't want control taken away from me in this game it feels like it goes against the design ethos of giving you a rocket shield oh yeah hundred <laughs> percent. that's like because the whole reason that this shift in the industry started is because so many people of like the generation before this one that were making games were attempting to emulate like something approximating final fantasy 6 where like the prospect of having a formalized narrative at all was coming it was like a thing that you could do. You could just fill the game with so much text <laughs> and so many cool cutscenes, uh -huh. right? The people totally like over, not corrected, but like definitely biased toward that direction a whole lot and started to miss the forest for the, for the trees. Like that the story of the game is supposed to be the story of like what happened to you while you were playing the game, which is something that Tears of the Kingdom is obviously great at, right? Like we all have shared like bullshit nonsense that we tried. <laughs> yeah. I guess there's just a part of me that's like concerned that the game is like this, like really like moving tale about like personal sacrifice and like the inevitability of death until the end. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> and then it eventually just kind of, but the actual story of the game, the story that like the mechanics tell about what you're doing. Right. Uh, is like, I made a, a giant dick and like spit fire on the dick on some goblins and yeah. the goblins ran around and like screamed cause they're dumb goblins. Uh huh. Right. It's, it's that contrast that I guess makes me a little bit. Un right. You said the good part of the game. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'm definitely aiming too high here. And I've, I've played video games for so long. I've played so many video games. Mm -hmm. yeah. I've played so many video games uh, that, like, 
it seems unreasonable to demand this kind of thing and i'm not intending to demand it i'm just saying that i wish there was more games that in the style of like a tabletop rpg were molding its mechanics toward particular story outcomes and not just particularly gameplay interactions but that's i've said my piece on this topic enough Mm -hmm. yeah what we need is uh planescape torment vis-a-vis tears of the kingdom yeah planescape tears tears of the torment yeah sure we'll call it that uh we'll get to work on it right away (laughs) i hope that this link and zelda like get therapy though after the (laughs) events of it because like they were born and then lived to adulthood and then Uh both were put into stasis for a hundred years and then reawoke in the same place where everyone they knew is now dead and then well, they everyone. had they had well most people they knew are now dead you got like two friends except for great. yeah the fish people that live forever or oh yeah, oh, yeah. Well, wow even more friends than i thought they yeah. get the fish people they got the real old lady they've Impa. got they've got pura Impa. pura yeah pura Impa. the real old lady yeah, yeah they got two human friends yeah uh, that's most more people than who are, yeah most people who are 100 <laughs> in real life don't have two human yeah. friends yeah but then zelda gets sent back in time like five thousand <laughs> years or whatever uh-huh. and link also is now once again knocked out for five more years and like that's got to take a toll on you right <laughs> oh yeah 100 <laughs> percent. i do have to say and it, Zelda was a dragon for a long time. She, yeah. didn't, she didn't remember that. Thank yeah. God. Yeah, she didn't remember being a dragon. However, I remember Zelda being a dragon. Yeah. Uh, and it's fucking cool. Oh, it's, it's great. It's so yeah. good. Yeah. Uh, I do. That does. Pl- that does. I think make me more happy about the narrative than I may have been otherwise. Yeah, even well, it, because it, it's such a good plot development. It's cool, and like it lets you put the pieces together for yourself. Yeah. And that's like it's engaging. That's why it's good. Yeah. Not all the parts of the narrative are. Well, also it's good because she's like a cool dragon. Well, yeah. Also dragons are red. <laughs> I think it's funny to me because like the dragons are such an iconic part of Breath of the Wild. I think everyone had a unique story the first time that they it's like, ran oh, did into you know one. That there was a dragon in the game? Yeah. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. like, um, uh, most people that I've talked to didn't know. That they were there was just going to be a giant dragon flying around in the sky. Yep. And then you run into one, and it's shocking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you go, whoa! And I think people really <laughs> liked that. And so I think that they saw that reaction and were like, "What's the way to do that again? Like, how do you? Because we're going to bring the dragons back. People like the dragons. It would be weird for them to be gone. Yeah." How do we recapture that experience with the dragons and still make them important? It's like, well, what if we made like Zelda the dragon? Well, I had like my moment with the dragon in this game that was uh-huh. awesome was jumping down into a chasm while one was flying up out of it at the oh, same time. Fuck. Yeah, that was terrifying. like so fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and then like shooting it as uh-huh. it flew by it, and then not being able to find the dragon part that fell off. Classic. Yeah. But uh, I thought that was like the, the fact that they fly down through the chasms because like it took me a minute because I was in the uh, the depths. And I saw a dragon. I was like, holy fuck, are yeah. there underworld dragons too? And then I had to like make the connection that, oh, it's just the same ones, and they now fly down through the chasms. Like, that's really cool. Yeah. Like, uniting the space in a like an interesting way. And yeah, that was my cool, mind-blowy <laughs> dragon moment. Ironically, <laughs> the dragons do a, don't do a good job of connecting the parts of the world together, because there's really, you can't like ride a dragon. 
And so the only interaction that you have with them relating to the mm. Sky Islands is always jumping off of them to then go down and interact with the dragon. You can ride the light dragon. Oh, yeah, you can ride the light I dragon. I know this because I went on a date with the light dragon. <laughs> oh, that nice. went really well and was good. Because <laughs> it felt... How are your tea times? <laughs> pretty great. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. But, yeah, and like... Because I, I wanted to go into battle after I had found the special, um, uh, like, new top uh, in the in the throne oh, room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted to go uh, in the battle yeah. with that top, so I needed to farm materials. So oh, to like, upgrade it. Correct. And they're all light dragon parts. So the narrative in my mind was that, like, after Link learns that the dragon is Zelda, Link just kind of, like, hangs out on the dragon <laughs> for, like, a very long time. That is the story of your Link, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. On, like, harvesting routines. And then got to go into battle. It wouldn't be all like, like, my girlfriend made the shirt. <laughs> Stain it in your blood. I do. I have to wonder. Well, actually, if you did that, um, one of my least favorite. So when I played Breath of the Wild, yeah. I was a big fan of the game and I wanted to continue playing it after I finished it. Uh-huh. I beat the game. I got all shrines. Yep. And I was like, my last final goal is I want to upgrade all the armor to the maximum. And then I got to the point where I had to get star pieces and dragon parts, and I said, never mind. Yep. And I didn't do it. <laughs> uh, I find the material gathering to be something they really should have not done in this game after seeing it in Breath of the Wild. Really? And they brought it back in exactly the same way. I agree that it's too much. I, I would have missed not having some kind of reward for getting, like, a stupid little dragon piece. Like, what like what else could you do with the dragons that just move around? That'd be cool. What than... You do what I did with the dragons, which is take their body parts yeah. and make immensely powerful weapons that's actually perfect yeah you're right yeah fuse i think makes the necessity of collecting like three dragon things that you have to wait a day for them to respawn or whatever it turns something that's cool into a job yep uh, Mm -hmm. which always ruins it i agree yeah i do agree with specifically the dragon parts overall i like upgrading the armor though sure because like it's nice to have stuff to do with all the shit that you pick up yeah, and the other pro- yeah, because you have like like you said like the cool new tunic that you want to yeah, wear. Yeah, I just said fuck that when it said <laughs> get however many dragon parts. Right, because you have to upgrade it because everything in this game kills you in one hit if you're nude. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, and it did. It conti- everything continued to kill me in one hit for like so long into the game. Yep. Shockingly long. I found this game to be much more i guess difficult not really because i mostly drove a makeshift fucking motorcycle (laughs) around everything that i was that would have threatened me but like the difficulty of the combat of this game is harder than it was in breath of the wild i think it's just that you went so long without finding the fairies Oh, yeah, I didn't get them until, like, probably yeah. 15 hours and before I ended the game. <laughs> what? Yeah, it, God. I, I think it's, like, the, that's one of the reasons, like, like, I was trying to say about, like, between this and Breath of the Wild is, like, Breath of the Wild's design is, like, a first-time thing because it's a new game. And, like, one of the, like, the first fairy is, like, right in Kakariko, which, like, the game points you right towards at the beginning. Right. So you're really likely to find it early and be on the lookout for the others. But this game is just, like... You, you have to you have to work for it more like yeah. you have to go find the stuff so like yeah you can go a long time with just like out any 
equipment upgrades. Yep. Which is what I did. I went nude. Not really nude, but like paper thin armor. Spiritually mm-hmm. nude. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I got like cool, what appeared to be like necromancer robes from the guys in the depths. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I said, you can't pay me to take this off. Because I look so so sick and edgy. Yeah. Uh, Can we take a moment to like compliment the person who is making these outfits? Oh yeah, <laughs> I'm sure it's more than one person designing the pe- them. <laughs> no, it's it's, it's, it's the cloth man. Yeah. What's the name of the the legendary figure that hid all the armor? <coughs> oh, I never got that quest. There's just, like, a lady that walks around in the mushroom outfit in, like, all different areas of the game. It's like, hey, I'm looking for this legendary treasure from this guy. It's, like, Mitzi or something. Yeah. Yeah. I remember you doing it. Yeah. But I never got anyone to point me in the direction. I found some of the armor. Yeah. And it has, like, a sign next to it that says, like, this is the... The legendary robber of Mitzi. She was, like, a rogue character who stole them. Um, Yeah, yeah. She's just, like... I think she's in, like, literally every section of the map, just, like, walking around. Um, Yeah, and talking to people. (laughs) Who's fucking talking to people? I got motorcycles to build, all right? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm-hmm. Do we want to talk about the depths? Or should we talk about runes or shrines? I feel like we should tackle... I don't. Something. I actively don't want to talk about shrines. Okay. I do want to talk about the depth stuff. I, I do want to talk, and I don't want to talk about shrines like, "Hey, how did you do that one?" Because <laughs> that's like not interesting in any way. I do want you to answer this question because I've talked to multiple people and mostly have been given the opposite answer than what I would give, and that is, do you think the shrines in this game were overall? Easier or harder than the ones in Breath of the Wild, or about the same. Easier or harder? I guess like slightly harder. I thought they were all harder. Yeah, uh, I thought they were like much easier. Yeah, and then I've also talked to other people who said that they were much easier. Yeah, it, I think it is. I think they are harder. Yeah, generally. I think there's one that stumped me that I went to, and it's in the capture footage. If you're watching on YouTube, YouTube.com/slash Noclip Podcast. Nice. Um, but uh. Yeah, like, I don't know if it's just because I played Breath of the Wild, and I just kind of, like, know what to expect from shrines, but, like, I found them all, and I I think I've done, like, 110 Mm -hmm. of them at this point, and I found them all to be easy. In in Breath of the Wild, I definitely found myself stumped by... Or maybe I'm misremembering. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm remembering I could be them. misremembering yeah. as well. I remember them being harder on average, personally, in the first game. I don't remember getting stumped by the physical puzzles as frequently as I am in Tears. Like, there's one... In fact, there's even a couple, like, pinball-esque minigames that I remember fucking around with for a weirdly long amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That's That was basically it. I think, I, I think over time, I kind of realized that the reason that some of them were harder for me was mostly just because of my incredible dedication to doing it wrong i really just wanted to not do it the way they intended to and that made me spend a lot more time in them which makes me think that they were harder even though they were not so uh i don't know yeah i i think it's a little bit harder that's it i don't talk about shrines either they had the same problem as the shrines in breath of the wild where there's probably a bit too many of them and too many of them are just nothing shrines though they did remove the combat shrines Mm. uh but there are a couple of like tutorial combat shrines 
but I think it's less overall. Yeah. Far. So I'll give it a, a pass. Still fun. Yeah. Liked it. Uh, well, now what did you want to talk about? Now that we're done talking about a thing you don't want to talk about. The, de- the depths? <laughs> the depths. Correct. How do you, how much time did y'all spend in the depths? Did, did you enjoy your stay? Uh, I spent a ton of time in the depths and I loved my stay, but I think I stopped. I, I had like a, a early game depths exploration, mm-hmm. which I liked most of all. And then I had like a mid game depths exploration, which I liked a little bit less because I was more concrete on how it worked. Yeah. Yeah. There was less, it was less terrifying. You knew kind of what was there. And you kind of fly around. You felt safe to enter the darkness in a way that you did not feel safe to enter the darkness before. Mm-hmm. Right. When I was running 35 steps and throwing a bright seed, that's when I was, like, really enjoying my time in the depths. Yeah. I had, like, two hearts left, mm-hmm. and I was just throwing lights and suddenly hitting a wall I didn't know was right in front of me. That was a great experience. Great. But, yeah. Yeah. I'm I, basically exactly the same. Um mm. Yeah, I, I wish I, I I love that there two of the dungeons. Oh wait, no, one of the dungeons is in the depths, and two of them are in the sky. Like I think that's cool that they tied that stuff, like skydiving into Death Mountain. Yeah, you know, pretty awesome. But uh, I wish there was like more like significant content down there, other than just like you light up the light routes and you can get treasure, and that's kind of like about it. You get your battery, but there's yeah. definitely a point at which you like get enough battery. You don't mm-hmm. have to care anymore. Yeah, like if there had like if they'd taken like some of the shrines and put them down there, or like something else other than combat, I, I think that would have been nice. Agreed. Needed like a little bit more. You could tell that they were like taking inspiration from like Subnautica style like exploration mechanics with the way that the lighting system worked. Mm-hmm. And there's definitely like a much more robust version of the depths that could have had a lot more surprise but uh i'm not going to complain about a game that already has like Mm -hmm. three open worlds (laughs) layered on top of each other yeah yeah i'd rather have the game with all three than a game where the depths are cooler yeah yeah it's not a complaint but uh i would yeah it's just like it's so awesome early on that it would have been it it just feels like it would have been nice if it could have kept it up a little more Mm -hmm. tech technologically speaking I am actually really happy with the way that they did the darkness part of the depths. I think that it is really cool to see. As somebody who plays like a lot of horror games, I don't know if this is like a unique to people like me kind of experience, but I am very sick of playing games that do darkness by making you look at a black screen. Uh, you, you like can't see your character, can't see shit in front of you. The fact that Tears of the Kingdom doesn't it it's like the depths almost don't appear dark in the traditional sense of, like, a dark area in a game. Because, like, Link is very visible, the ground in front of you is even, like, sort of illuminated. uh, And eliminated. Uh, And when you... But when you throw the bright root, it really, like, gives you uh, more... It's, it's like, terrifying. Yeah. Like, the small amount of light that is what you're going by... uh, as it like expands and you see like or like my favorite when you throw it and it just never lands. Oh and you're yeah. Like, uh oh, mm-hmm. what happened? <laughs> I or it did... immediately hits a wall. Yep. That you didn't know was there. <laughs> Those experiences are like impossible in a game where they do darkness by just making everything really dark. Uh, and this game has this like sort of dynamic darkness system where you can still see 
technically, but the uh, but things are just not. I don't know. It's kind of difficult to describe. Yeah, there's like light in the background. Right, and the things in the foreground are dark. Yeah, yeah. there's like ambi. There's like a certain amount of ambient lighting. Mm-hmm. So you could see things off in the distance and be making your way toward them, and there is untold horrors in your path mm-hmm. between you and that destination. And yeah, I just really like the way they did it. I hope to see something give me this. Sort- I think. Uh, I forget the name of the game. It's like Scanner Sombre or something. Mm. Ooh, it's like is... a cave exploration game that has like a crazy sound-based sight system. Yeah, yep. it, it kind of represents it as like a dot matrix sort of thing. Yeah, did a kind of similar thing, but you had more access to like a full view yeah. than you do in this game. But it's, yeah, yeah, I I agree. I feel like it's the best way to handle darkness um, if you're not going to like specifically a design around things being pitch black like yeah. outlast or something it is also fun that like the traditional way of lighting stuff up like a torch is like shit pissy bad oh yeah in, i in the depths when i first went down there like i kind of adamantly tried to just use torches because yeah. that's like what I, I thought to do and so i wanted to do it but yeah you had to put it out all the time yeah you gotta and put like, it out and... yeah i was like i don't want to waste all of my <laughs> all of my flint and wood and stuff indeed one of the most precious like mid-game materials wood mm-hmm. i'd uh, I cheesed the shit out of the Goron puzzle. Not all of it. I did three of them legitimately, and I couldn't, like... I, like, skipped on one at a midpoint or something, so I got back down to the very start of the, of the Goron temple with one, like, missing piece of the whatever. Oh, yeah. So I had to, like, find the way to get back up there. But that temple in particular is very sequential because of the way the rails work. Yeah. So th- I have a very wonderful memory of, like, all right, it's like flint and wood time. Get those Hylian pine cones going. The best item. Yeah, mm-hmm. Hylian pine cones, extremely strong. Um, I will say I did not have any. I went there first. Mm. I did the fire temple as my first one. And, oh. Uh, yeah. And it, I will say uh, the rails did not make it extremely sequential because you can just put a cart on your shield and just ride one rail, which means that a lot of that stuff where things are like broken and, and blocking your path, if you launch yourself into the sky and then come down on a rail with the shield, you can actually get across places. And that's how I mostly navigated. Yeah, I never figured that one out. TikTok just showed me that one after mm-hmm. I was done. Oh, wow. In addition to the, like, I don't know if you saw this excellent TikTok. <laughs> I've seen precious few tiktoks despite being 19 as established on uh-huh. the first half Correct. of the podcast you can you know those the blocks that where you hit them to get them to freeze at a point in the air yeah apparently you could fuse those to arrows and you can just be like boop and you can just like literally point and click a platform is there now oh interesting how does it know when to stop i don't know <laughs> these are the mysteries of tiktok <laughs> <laughs> They use them anymore. Uh, I think I did that temple a lot by just like climbing around the outsides of the buildings. I did a lot of that too. Yeah. I kept thinking like I wish there was a better place for me to use the ascend ability in here. Mm. Yeah, that one's like designed against like that being useful. Yeah. But I guess if you have those those blocks that you can uh halt in midair, you can kind of do like a ascend hamburger where you go up through the bottom one and then through the mm-hmm. the uh, floor above you, which is doable sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I am mad 
that there's uh, in that temple. This is the only, I think, specific temple thing I want to call out. Uh-huh. There's like a part, I don't even know where it is really in the temple, but there's a broken bridge that goes oh. <laughs> across this like gap. And you can easily just, you can walk underneath of it. You can go up to where the left side is. You can go up to where the right side is. The only reason you would ever need to repair the bridge is because there's a rock on the other side that you can break with Lumpy. Uh, Which, if uh, you haven't listened to the original Breath of the Wild podcast, Lumpy is our name for Yunobo. Uh Uh, It was was back then, and I couldn't stop calling him that now. Yeah, (laughs) he's made his triumphant return in Tears of the Kingdom. Yeah, so I had Lumpy with me at all all times. Uh, But you could use him to break that rock. And so I was like, I spent time trying to get this bridge together including like building a little stack of carts to hold up the middle part of the bridge so that he could go across and then as far as i can tell there's no reward for doing that I the same thing my cheese was uh i i you know the little fire hydrants yeah i set them up on one of the rivers so it kept making the long pieces of no, you made a ramp. hard lava. Yeah. yeah and i just made a comically long ramp and yeah. i just rolled it over there uh, the big stick is the best device in the game. The what? Where you just stick a bunch of stuff together in a big long line. Mm-hmm. Uh, it works wonders in yep. all situations. Comically long bridge. Yep. Good. Uh, Even the the tech print, that's not what they're called. The st- whatever, the auto build stone. Yeah. Schema stone. The schema stone. Schema stone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The schema stone for the bridge in this game is comically long. Mm -hmm. It's like literally six giant stone platforms is the scheme of stone. It's like, hey, we made this complicated blueprint. Yeah. Put six things together. It's real big. Ancient technology. (laughs) I mean, that literally is ancient technology. Just like stick a bunch of blocks together. That's ancient earth technology. (laughs) Yeah. You can, like, I don't know, like maybe make a house with it or something. <laughs> yeah. um, oh, man, why, why isn't that a scheme of stone? Were you just a literally house? a house? <laughs> there is a, is, I think they call it like instant scaff or something, or a scaffold, where it's just like a... The sea? Oh, it, yeah, the sea's like, real good. Yeah, and you can easily set it up and like mm-hmm. ascend through it. But you can make a house. That's kind of a house by itself. Turn it sideways. Yeah. It's There's like a probably long like an attachment limit that I never experienced, just for there memory is. reasons. Don't... I tried to glue all of the chests together uh, after using all my amiibo in the game, nice. and it hits a point where it, it things just break off. Okay, sad days. Uh, the one temple thing I wanted to call out is on the way to the uh, Zora one, mm. where it's low gravity as you go up, and there's like bubbles and stuff. Uh, just that. There's shrines on the way to the temple. There's a couple of them. And in the shrines, there's low gravity, which I thought was awesome. But then there's other places on Sky Islands where there's low gravity and there's shrines and the gravity is regular in the shrines. Oh, wow. Inconsistency, zero out of ten. Worst game. Cinema Sins goof, 100%. (laughs) That is a a sin for sure. I, I was just like slightly disappointed by that. Uh, agreed. I, I do like, though, that, that the um, the Sky Temple also has, I think, one shrine mm-hmm. uh, nearby, so that, like, if you climb if you all fall. the fuck-ass <laughs> way up there, you don't have to do it again if you want to leave, or mm-hmm. if you fall, yeah. So, that is good. I like them as checkpoints. Uh, and, yeah, the fucking Water Temple low-gravity thing was just super fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wish there was, like, more... 
use of it, but also maybe it wouldn't be a special. I'm not sure. It was just fun to play around in. Yeah. Uh, I'm disappointed by Ganondorf. The final boss. Do we want to talk about that already? One hour into the second <laughs> half? Uh, I wanted to real quick just talk about the uh, the sages. Oh, like yeah. That you yeah. have, like, an adventuring party with you, basically. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, that's worthwhile. That especially... It, it, it further raises the ceiling of, like, war-based bullshit. Uh-huh. And that was a great part of that lead-up to that conclusion, is the way that, like, as you are acquiring all of these, like, crazy party members, you get the opportunity to really, like, let loose with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I fought the final boss after 25 hours of the game, I think. <laughs> and I only had Lumpy at the time. And it was very funny for that. It plays the cutscene of <laughs> just him showing up and going, you don't have to fight this alone, Link. <laughs> Which is funny because it's, it's really just one other guy. <laughs> it is I, Lumpy. It's Lumpy. Champion of the gore. <laughs> and I actually got like... A solid, like, 70% into the, like, first, like, the the Demon King's army health bar before I was slain uh, (laughs) and sent packing back to wherever the checkpoint was, and then I left. But it is amusing, and it does feel so much better when you have all of them. Uh, I just wanted to ask if you left them all on all the time. Oh, yeah. I I turned off the robot occasionally in the sky but only because it was, like, obscuring my view sometimes. Yeah, like, I don't know how people play that way. (laughs) I had them all off all the time unless I needed their specific abilities. But don't you, like, literally always need the air ability? Not really. I Well, I, as somebody who did that one next to last, <laughs> uh, I didn't use it for, like, 70 hours. Okay, when I say need, I mean need in, like, the whiny, like, upper-middle-class <laughs> way, <laughs> uh, where what I mean is that, like, when I was walking around on the ground, <laughs> I would jump and then do the air thing because that's, like, twice as fast as running. Uh-huh. Yes. That's some real Chad strategy. So right correct, there. yeah. There was... Well, the actual Chad strategy was to duct tape a bunch of springs together, <laughs> fling myself 100 yards in the air, and then, like, bust out some kind of Tony Hawk skateboarding trick to get mm-hmm. around. That's how I moved. Good, good movement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, I just remember in the first game... Uh, thinking that like the champion abilities made the game way too easy and lamenting on the podcast that you couldn't turn them off right all the time you totally could and i just didn't know (laughs) so i knew that i would prefer to play that way and also i feel like they lower the frame rate pretty bad oh they they get in the way of the camera all the time like i was playing the game for a while and i was like man like I wonder if, like, all the extra, like, delays were just to make this game run way better than Breath of the Wild, because I feel like it hasn't had any frame rate drops, and it runs so well, Mm -hmm. and then, like, there was, like, I did mess around with turning them all on, like, I, um, was it Luralin Village, like, the pirate town, I was like, okay, pirate siege, turning on all my guys, and we're gonna fuck (laughs) up shit, you know, I did that kind of thing, uh, and I was like, the frame rate tanks. (laughs) I kind of love that. I, I, the older I get, the more I'm like starting to appreciate circumstances where I can feel the game kind of bending under my whims. Mm-hmm. Really, so like even with like the 10 FPS combat, <laughs> at that level of chaos, it's not like I'm like 
they're Twitch reacting to the things that are happening on screen anyway. Yeah. So I'm totally cool with just making that switch chug. <laughs> Make that switch chug. Yeah. My thing was I I had done I did the fire temple first and I did it like I don't know, 15, 20 hours into the game or something. Mm-hmm. All of these are very broad estimates, by the way. As far as my time goes, I was not keeping an active eye on that. Um, but yeah, I, I played for a while and did the Fire Temple. And then I just had Lumpy for a long time. I didn't go do... I think the Water Temple was the second one I did. And I didn't do it for like another 20 hours or more into the game. So, And then I did that one and then the Wind Temple pretty close together. So I didn't really have the experience of fighting with all of them. Most of the time it was just me or Lumpy. Uh, But when I did get them, I did leave them on, except Lumpy, who I ended up turning off a lot of the time because I would accidentally activate him and just send him flying off in some direction, lighting shit on fire. Uh, But yeah, I did also mostly keep them all on it all the time because it's cool. It is cool. It's cool to have friends. Totally cool. The robot is terrible though what it's it it to me i understand what they want to do with it but they made it deeply unsatisfying to play with it doesn't deal enough damn it doesn't and it's very slow yeah it's like i feel like i am a million times better at combat than this combat robot is yeah a little bit and it felt weird Mm -hmm. and so i basically never used it after i was forced to yeah it does kind of feel like not fully realized, like something that they just kind of threw in the game at the last minute. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure that's probably not the case, but it kind of has that energy to it. Like, it doesn't feel like you get it right at the end and, like, you know. Yeah. Did clunky. you find the the assembly facility prior to get actually getting the quests to go there? I didn't. I did not. In fact, I was super annoyed because when I got the quest and went there... I was like one light route away. Like I, like I, we could like see how close I came to just finding it, and that would have been the coolest shit ever. But yeah, no. No, I got there and like looked around and was like, I'm suspicious of this. Yeah, there's like a dude standing where like the body eventually gets built, who's like, oh yeah, I just kind of like hang out here in case somebody needs a big robot. But you know, nobody's made an order in a while. I'm like. Is it I'm just, watching you. Is it just a Giga Clan guy? <laughs> no, it's a it's a robot. It's oh, one of oh the, it's one of the robots. Yeah, okay. it's one of the dirts. Dude, so I was playing the game and was in the depths and explored the Great Plateau fairly early and got the quest with put the eyeballs in the statue, and you go down there and you get the multi hand ability. Or whatever it's called. Yeah. They gave it to me and they're like, hey, go use it on these things. <laughs> I just left. <laughs> I was like, I'm in the middle of this eye quest. I'll do that and come back and then just forgot. So, like, it was like 50 plus hours later in the game. And I'm like talking to Chad. I'm like, I keep finding all this stuff from the Yiga clan in the depths. <laughs> and, like, I haven't found Master Koga yet. And I, like, I'm like, what? The, man, they're really building him up. Uh-huh. Is he going to be the last sage? I'm like, they really, man. <laughs> it was just like, oh, I forgot to do that one quest. And never found him until, like, <laughs> 70 hours of game. Yeah, so I had done part of the yoga quest. Yoga quest? Yeah. <laughs> The quest for yoga uh-huh. of the yoga clan. Um, and when you said that, when you were like, what, is he going to be like the last sage or something? I was like, 
crushingly disappointed <laughs> with Nintendo. I was like, God, why wasn't he? Why wasn't Koga the last sage? That would have been so funny. Yeah, because like, I thought that was so cool. Because I put the pieces together myself when I started finding all the Yiga Clan stuff in the depths. I'm like, oh. Your boss fight with him in the first game, you knock him down a big hole when he fell down here. Yep. Like, that's so cool. Mm-hmm. And, like, I, it just was, like, this big mystery for me for, like, the whole game. And I was just like, oh. <laughs> I just missed him. He's I just, just forgot he, to he's do He's just around. Thing. He's just around. Just yeah. being, like, a fucking Looney Tunes bad guy. My version of that <laughs> is that I was several real-world days into the game. Uh, and kept saying to myself over and over again, this needs a blueprint mode. I mm. feel like I would love Ultra Hand even more than I already do if there was something that saved my blueprints and I could like quickly bust something out if I had the parts laying around. And then I found Ultra Hand, but it was so late in the game that I was like, oh man, I'm just imagining all the time that I've wasted mm-hmm. building <laughs> the same shit over and over again when I could have had this. Uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful feature. Yeah. It's it is a very good feature that I like, but I do wish that it was. I mean, I guess it's my fault because they told me to go there, and I just said "fuck off." I'm gonna go in the opposite direction yeah, that sh- you tell me. Shut that's up, what I do. child! <laughs> yeah. You say to the child giving you orders? Yeah, I will. Yeah. Literally, like 105. <laughs> like, what's wrong with you? I'm such an old man compared to you. <laughs> I have seniority, and I am also better on, like, a physical level. Probably intellectually better. They always say it's the quiet ones, right? Uh, I I thought they said that about people who, like, murdered people. I don't know. Murderers are kind of smart. They're kind of, yeah, they're intellectuals. <laughs> uh, okay, you want to talk about sexy man Ganondorf now? Mm. Yeah. I've been trying to find a way. So I'm just going to say this right now, and then we can talk about the final boss. Uh-huh. Uh, I think the closest I came is uh, when we were talking about the upgrading of armor and stuff. Mm. Uh, And I was hoping we could talk a little bit about material collection. Uh, But it isn't interesting in any way and wouldn't be a good thing to talk about. Uh But every time that I picked up a cool... Yeah, a cool Saflina, I thought of Funky Cool cool Medina, (laughs) a song by Tone Loke from 1989. And I was wondering if anyone in our audience was old enough to remember that song. But I did say Funky Cool Saflina every moment, and it wouldn't... I have to get that online. Okay. That I'm, everyone knows that I couldn't stop thinking it yeah. every time I picked yeah. up that item. I'm surprised that you know that song as a 19-year-old. That's, that's true. <laughs> yeah, I'm, a lot of people say I'm old for my age. Uh-huh. Which is fair. Yeah. Uh-huh. This is a safe space. You can absolutely cram <laughs> your weird thoughts directly into this podcast. It's fine. It was like, well, we did an episode recently on a game called The Bunker, and we just had to somehow find a way to talk about Diarrhea Wednesday. Uh, and eventually, the it never came up, so yeah, we just, just had to. It, yeah. yeah, we just had to somehow bring it in. Okay. So I think that's the new uh, sort of pathos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, let's talk about the final boss. Speaking of Diarrhea Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Dude, they could have done this so good. They, Yeah, they did They did our very sexy boy Ganondorf dirty. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did you think it was bad? No, I'm not even talking at a mechanical level. I'm talking like... I am. Mm. I've like had, no buildup. Yeah, I, I kept waiting for like the memory when I was getting the Dragon Tears mm-hmm. that would like 
elucidate like the dwarf motivation right <laughs> like what he's doing here because mm. the world at because it is like so damaged and feels so old it a lot of the characters within it unless they're very intentionally trying to be funny feel like a little bit realized right like it feels believable to me like the weird alien god guy has motivations and they spend a lot of time uh describing how like what yeah, I'm talking about Raru. Okay. How, like, Raru, like, you know, has normal conversations and, like, has a relationship with his wife. There's, like, a lot of text. He's, like, and... a real guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of the, even, like, the big main characters are all, like, real people. But, like, nope, the dwarf boy is just, like, literally evil for evil's sake. Yeah, he's just evil. Yeah, he's, like, literally just evil. I wanted it, I was, like, I was, I felt the buildup of, like, another Wind Waker moment where they were going to give it just, like, the tiniest nugget. That he would be like cool and awesome. But you could even like like it feels like it's prime for one of those like, hey like he points out this world is just like gets fucked over over and over again and like I'm gonna fix it like everyone rally behind me and I'll actually like fix your problems kind of a thing because like Hyrule's kind of a fuck to death pile of burning <laughs> caca. It is yeah. So like you could there the pieces are there to give him like some something to do. There's even, like, allusions about the fact that they're constantly bring up how, like, the Zonai are treated as, like, deities, despite very obviously just kind of being people. Mm-hmm. But there really isn't even, that doesn't get addressed. Like, there isn't a point where he's, like, this weird, way too extreme freedom fighter. There isn't even that much. Like, he's literally just like, I want to kill people. Yeah, I'm the evil man. Yeah, yeah. I'm the evil man. I want to own you. I love yeah. slavery. I want to have blood moons, because they're metal, <laughs> they're and have metal. horrible pig demons roam the lands and kill everybody. Yeah. Yeah. I do think, and that is a good point, though. I think, uh... That would have been such a good angle for it because they they do address the, the Zonai themselves. Honestly, end up being kind of a missed opportunity in terms of like giving the protagonists a bit of a uh, any kind of a complication whatsoever. Yeah, like the the Gerudo come in the scene that it where they introduce Ganondorf in terms of chronologically speaking down the memories. Right. Uh, They're, like, coming seemingly like many races do to swear fealty to King Rauru, which is an uncomfortable, weird thing when everyone has sort of their own sovereignty to maintain. And then Ganondorf shows up and Zelda's like, I don't like that guy. And he's like, oh, no, we know. We've got we're going to keep a close eye on him. Yeah. And then but that's it. That it's not like there's anything, nothing, no doubt is cast. Well, yeah, and, like, this was, like, a great opportunity, I think, in this game, given that we've had all of Breath of the Wild, for, like, he, Ganondorf just is a Gerudo, and they don't tie the Gerudo in with him and, like, what he's doing in any way. You go to Gerudo yeah. Town, and they're just like, oh, the Demon King, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> they're not like, oh, he's not one of us. <laughs> <laughs> You know, like, they don't even, like, mention him. Yeah. It's weird. It's like, bummer, in Riju, right? like, he would be, like, you know, like, she's the leader of the Gerudo, and here's the king over here. Like, <laughs> what do you think about that, Riju? <laughs> like, no, nothing. Mm. No, has no thoughts. Nothing. Yeah. Fan of the dragon fight, though. I mean, obviously the dragon was going to help you. Uh, as like an echo yeah. of, of his past I loyalty and love for you. I but... was so stressed out <laughs> that they weren't going to give you your hearts back for oh, the dragon yeah. fight. Because like, 
I, I got down pretty low fighting Ganondorf. I three. Yeah, like, and I was like, oh my, if I had lose to this next phase and have to do it all over again, oh, it's gonna suck so much ass. Yeah. <laughs> I, the the saving grace is that you do get hearts back. Yeah, you get them all back. When you're in the sunlight. So I did assume. Oh, yeah. I, I, I was too stressed out to think yeah. clearly. <laughs> I found, so I, I, I genuinely want to know if I am just bad mm. or if there's an intended... Or if or if there's an intended way of, of fighting Ganondorf. No, I, I it was really a resource attrition battle for me. Okay. Like, I never yeah. figured out, like, what triggers him doing the crazy backflip dodge. Because what really, what really freaked me out is the first time I ever saw him do that, yeah. it was in response to me flurry rushing him. Right. Uh, uh, the fact that he can respond from your parry with his own uh, is, or is, like, perfect dodge, whatever, yeah. is... To me, I think a little excessive. Fair. It was a great moment. Like, the mm. second I was like, oh, fuck, I can't just, like, hit him with swords even the way, even the good way, right? Right, yeah. But, like, I never found the other way. I just, like... I think, the, from my memory, and it's been, like, a week or whatever, so yeah. it's not the clearest, is, like, if you try to attack him head on, like, just walk up to him and hit him, he does the backflip. Like, he'll just dodge you. Like, you have to, like do your you have to like attack him with flurry rushes basically yeah uh and you can only really do it after he does an attack so he does one of his big moves then you run up and hit him and wait no he'll then he'll go to hit you and then you can dodge and get the flurry rush and he won't dodge it so i think you have to like in response to his big attacks then go hit him in response but yeah. if you try to take the fight to him, it doesn't go well. Yeah, I, I think you actually have a point. I, I don't think I put this together when I was actually doing the fight, but I'm reasonably certain that, yeah, you being you facing him is the trigger. Yeah. Because you obviously can't just walk up and hit him. The game just does not allow it. Uh, and he will dodge your flurry rushes, but maybe only if you come in from the front. Because yeah. when I'm successfully able to hit him, honestly, I, it was just the spear thrust attack. He would do a thrust and and go and he would go past you and you would dodge and flurry rush into mm-hmm. him and that was like all my damage came yeah, from that. The, the timings were hard. Yeah, because like I I did really well early and then like I got in my own head for like the <laughs> middle chunk where like I just kept whiffing it every time. Like I can't get the timing right. <laughs> yeah, to me it's like it's difficult, but it's not difficult really in a satisfying way. Yeah, I found I thought it was cute when they his health bar went all the way to the right side of the screen. Yeah. Oh yeah, that, that was, was hilarious. hilarious. Yeah. Very funny. Enjoyed that a good bit. I liked the first phase of the fight. I liked the 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 fucking Demon King's army part was fine. Yep. Uh, mostly because and I didn't mention this before, but I feel like I should. Uh, the Bacoblin boss, the boss Bacoblin, the big Bacoblin, mm-hmm. the big Bacoblin boss, the big Bacoblin boss, best enemy in the game, best new enemy potentially. I like that it blows a horn and they take formations. Like uh-huh. it's so sick, and it actually made me want to engage with them in combat. Uh, so I like to see them in the final boss. Yeah. The guy that I loved so much <laughs> made a return at the end of the game, which is very cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then it got to that third phase where he's just like, just dodges all of your attacks. You're basically forced to use the Master Sword. Uh, be- and also his hits. I don't take- think it can break in the fight. It right. cannot. Yeah. 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 That's what I'm saying. Like it, it incentivizes you to use the Master Sword. Mm-hmm. Even though I had like... What if I wanted to hit him with like a octopus stick? Okay. <laughs> <All right. laughs> 
<laughs> not very the viable. From evil with your sacred octopus stick. <laughs> uh, much. You didn't uh, soak the octopus stick in uh, Zelda's head is... for a hundred years, so. <laughs> In my version, I would have. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I don't know. But yeah, it I, just it I, wasn't it wasn't a very satisfying yeah. fight. And I me. really like that he takes your hearts away too. Well, yeah. Same. Uh, but yeah, it is a little bit. The timings are on the flurry rushes. I think are what is too difficult about it because it feels like each one is completely inconsistent with the others. Yeah. Which is what I think is the problem with flurry rush as a mechanic in general. Like sometimes it feels like the the animation is just like. Like, they're barely lifting their weapon, and that's when you trigger the flurry rush, and it's, like, not at all when you think it would be. Right. And it's, like, varies between enemies, and it's, like, not consistent at all. This is the problem that Sekiro solves with those marker symbols, essentially. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but, like, forcing enemies to have, like, consistent timing signals by just, like, making a thing appear on screen. The downside of that is that there's the tell part of it. And keep in mind, this would not be a downside in Tears of the Kingdom because Tears of the Kingdom is a Zelda game that is not really about its its complicated combat system. Mm-hmm. But it does. It means that like there isn't a there's no learning an enemy. You just watch for the thing to pop up on screen. There is still some in Sekiro, but in Zelda that wouldn't really be there. Um, but yeah, the flare rushes were bad in the first game, mm-hmm. and they're bad again here. Surprise. Yeah. They're not the focus, and they shouldn't be the focus, and if they're your focus, rethink your life. Yeah. Whoa! <laughs> Whoa! You know what I think the focus of the ending of this podcast should be? What's that? The fucking nuclear explosion on the death of Ganondorf. Oh, the, yeah. like, all life on the surface ending destructive <laughs> explosion. One of the best explosions I've ever seen. There's... I, like, actually guffawed audibly. <laughs> seeing the explosion it was pretty rad pretty excellent i I also just like like uh in breath of the wild before it that the final boss is just in the world and you can just like go fight him whenever not that i like did like you know chad Uh went and fought him like 25 hours in i had uh, to i got down there i was like i'm not just gonna not yeah but the fact that it's just out there Mm -hmm. is like there's that gives it a cool sense to the game it's just like destroy ganondorf and that's always in the back of your head yeah yeah, big ups. Definitely cool. Big, <laughs> big ups. Big ups. <laughs> big ups. Uh, the symmetry of the hand grab at the end with Zelda. Oh, yeah, that was pretty good. Also beautiful, yeah. Good game. I love video games. Good game. There was a moment when I was like very hype after completing Tears of the Kingdom mm-hmm. where I was like, I'm never going to play another AAA game again. This is the <laughs> last video game I'll ever play. I've, I've since mellowed on that a little bit. <laughs> the Legend of Zelda, the last video game. But goddamn, it was very, very wonderful experience. Yeah. Are, you, are you giving preemptive final thoughts? Do we have hearty thoughts? <laughs> With Farron thoughts or something like that? All right, hearty thoughts. Uh, uh, I guess oh, I'll yeah. go first. You normally go first, but <laughs> now we have a third person. I usually go first, so I was going to give JJ the opportunity. Thank you. Uh, so my hearty thoughts are, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like like JJ, definitely high on the game now after like you know finishing it recently. Um, but in I feel like if I was a robot, <laughs> I would just straight up say this is just much better than Breath of the Wild. Like, mm-hmm. it's Breath of the Wild, but with more. And the stuff, the more stuff is good stuff. Um, 
<laughs> so, but like for me, like it definitely lacks the impact Breath of the Wild had. Um, like being a brand new thing, being a reinvention of Zelda, being like a watershed big title from Nintendo. It feels like it was so long since they there'd been something like that from them. Um, so I, I think I liked it a little bit less, but I think technically it is just a better game. So, yeah. Which is like a weird, you know, opinion to hold. It kind of sounds like I'm trying to both sides of the issue, but <laughs> that's how I feel. Um, yeah, like I, um, it, it was cool to revisit the world. I do think they did a, enough different stuff uh, to make it not feel like, you know, an ascended DLC or something. Uh, the depths are awesome, you know, like uh, exploring those for the first time was probably my favorite part of the game. Uh, I think, yeah, certain things were a little bit missed opportunity, like the Zonai, as we were saying, and the Sky Islands kind of fell a little flat for me. Um, but yeah, like, it's cool to see Nintendo push into like more modern game design, like the whole combining objects thing feels like such a modern idea, and it's cool to see it in a Zelda game. Uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, I'm really happy with it. It's cool to see a sequel in the same game world, you know? Like, I feel like that's relatively unique, and I'm glad to, like, have seen it done and done so well. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall really good, um, but didn't quite, like, wow me like the first one did, personally. Yeah. You always kind of have that interplay where, like, the context of when a game was encountered in your life and its context within like the rest of the gaming sphere when it came out it, it that is often as we all know like what determines how large of an impact something makes in your mind overall you know it, i would never ever consider a lot of the games that i consider like formative early kingdom hearts games like even to like hold a candle to the craziness that is this thing but the difference in impact remains nonetheless uh i'm i'm not gonna like think about this game forever because um i'm like an old enough crusty person where it's hard so much of like the things that form my identity are calcified that it's hard for me to imagine something really getting in nooks and crannies and shaking things up but i can fully imagine being like a 14 year old again uh, whose, like, entire life trajectory uh, was changed by, like, the ability to make, I don't know, the fucking capacitor switches in this game, right? Mm -hmm. In the same way that, like, there will be a, there was a generation of people post-Minecraft that, like, changed the industry in, in innumerable tiny ways, I suspect there is going to be a generation of people, like, post-Tears and post-Breath of the Wild who will change open-world design and similar functions, and not just in, like, the cash-grabby, like... Uh, what's that fucking anime game god damn it oh, oh genshin, genshin impact yeah not like any like iterative genshin impact way but in a like thinking about the implications of the design way uh tears is crazy tears is probably like the best game on the switch um tears is perfect for the switch Hashtag. Uh, <laughs> it is perfect for the switch yeah it is uh and i love it to death and will recommend it to my mom all right mom tears mom Mom this game is Kingdom. mom tier. <laughs> yeah, it's a mom tier. Uh, that's all right. We'll codify that later. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, all the things I said. Um, <laughs> basically, I, I think like 
Uh, my grand takeaway from Tears of the Kingdom is that I think that when you compare it to Breath of the Wild, it is a better game in almost every way. It's a really difficult thing to put your finger on in terms of like what that difference of opinion comes from, but it is a... Holistically, I think Breath of the Wild makes a bigger impact on the scene, whereas Tears of the Kingdom is just a is the larger meteor that crashed afterward and just sort of widened the crater. Yeah, it didn't make the dinosaurs go extinct. Yeah, it made, like, the two dinosaurs that were left really extinct (laughs) uh, after hitting it. Uh, But yeah, I don't know. I fucking love this game. I thought it was... It was a game that I had a really, actually, weirdly difficult time to getting into, but once I was there, I uh, stayed there for many, many hours uh, doing dumb shit, doing smart shit. It was uh, all the shit that I like to do, it had in abundance. So, uh, yeah, big fan, thought it was really good. Uh, It is weird the way intangibles work in forming opinions on things. Uh, so indeed. yeah, indeed. Uh, that that's, there it is. Thank you for listening to no clip this week. What are we talking about next time? Next time we're entering into our new theme month. Uh, sure to be celebrated by people around the globe. Uh, spook timber in July. <laughs> The pure hate behind the smile. This big and stupid smile on my face. And just absolute rage in my heart. Please explain. Uh, yeah, it's Spooktober in July. We're not even really doing four horror games. We're <laughs> just two loosely themed games uh, from two different. Uh, the first one, though, uh, is going to be Resident Evil Village. Or, as the game would prefer to be known for some reason, Resident Evil. V-I-I underscore age. I don't think that's true. I think you're a liar. Uh, yeah, no, they probably like to be called Resident Evil Village. A little bit. Yeah. Uh, but until that time, you can get a hold of us uh, and tell us what a great idea Spooktember in July is uh, on, our, <laughs> on our website at noclippodcast.com. Uh, there you can find our email address, our Twitter account, uh, links to our Discord server where you can suggest games for us to play, uh, or the YouTube channel, and you can listen to all of our old episodes, including the two-parter that we did on Breath of the Wild. Um, we just did... We do a Zelda game every year. Yeah, Twilight Princess, Ocarina of Time, Majora's Mask, Wind Waker. Yep. All of them. Covered them all. And you can't say we didn't do it. <laughs> Smash that like button! <laughs> I'm not even going to try to make more jokes. Yeah, not worth it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying I don't want to get into the testicle market.